Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 441. And today's guest is the amazing Nicole Leckie. You're going to love this one. I love talking to her. Uh, she's got a new show on, on BBC Three every Tuesday for six episodes. Or you can watch it as the box set on iPlay. It's called Mood. And it's fantastic, man. It's really good. But we get into all of that, so you'll get the tone and the idea. But I really think she's going to be an absolute superstar, even more than she is already. But thank you for tuning in, and thank you for all the love for last week's episode with Stephen Fry. That got mad love. If this is your first time tuning in, that's one that's worth going back and listening to. People we talk about in this episode have been on the podcast. I've had Michaela Cole on twice. I've had Kano on. can't think anyone else that we mention. But other people I've had on, I've had Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Louis Theroux, Mary J. Blige, uh, Spike Lee. The list is endless. So yeah, keep listening and keep enjoying and go and dig into that back catalogue. Um, we're brought to you as ever by com, which is where you can buy my, my merch. It's been some lean months for merch lately, man. But um, you know, it is what it is. The world's a mess um, and it's stressful times. So you don't even need to be buying my merch. I don't even encourage it in this situation. But yeah, you can head over there. But, but even more exciting than all of that, obviously, patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. That's a place as well. But I've launched on Twitch now and I'm Twitch streaming. You, you can go and watch previous screens over on my Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio. And come join me. Come f- follow. Come get involved. I'm playing a game called Rust on Limmy's server so comedian and twitch streamer Limmy of Limmy's show has set up a server on there so it's invite only so he's playing on there I'm on there and there's a load of really good people on there it's really good fun so yeah check it out but for now let's get into the episode because it's a really good chat and also as said check out mood either Tuesday nights on BBC3 or over on iPlayer if you haven't got the patience and you need to get more and more, which I completely understand as well. But yeah, for now, this is episode 441 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Nicole Leckie. And there we go. Right. I'm here today with Nicole Leckie. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thank you. Busy, but good. How are you? I was going to say, how's it all feeling? Because, I mean, your show isn't even out yet, but I'm seeing you on TV. I'm seeing you doing all sorts of press and it feels like it's... it's No, no, (laughs) but it feels like it's really backed and that's kind of a good thing but I guess it adds adds pressure I want to quickly say I've seen the first two episodes and the hype is is real it's 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 worth it so but but how's that feeling kind of all of this I mean normally you'll particularly if it's a a first time show as such it will come out and then you'll start I had Tom Davis on the other day who did Murder in Successville and he was saying Mm. when series one came out the only press he did was my podcast because I was a fan. So that's wow. often the way, but that's not the way with this. There's there's excitement around it. I mean, I don't have, like, any other experience, I yeah. guess, of, frame like... frame of reference. Yeah, I have no frame of reference. So um, I'm just sort of taking it each day at a time, really, and 
figuring it all out. But it, it is madness. Like, I'm not going to lie. I feel, uh, I do, I feel the pressure for it to kind of come out. Yeah. Because I've been living with mood, you know, for a few years now. So it's yeah. like, okay, it's real. It's coming out. Yeah. That, and there must be a level of relief in that as well, kind of on the way to go right. The most. Yeah. The most relief because, yeah, it's just you and you're in this kind of vacuum, aren't you, in a bit of a bubble. And yeah. now I'm I'm kind of desperate for people to see it and at the same time quite protective of it because obviously yeah. you're kind of something yeah, you've yeah, created yeah, yeah. and spent so much time with. And now I'm like, oh, my God, just like everybody's going to see it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> that vote of confidence has been there with this project from, from the start, really, because it was c- commissioned by the BBC before the theatre run had even started, right? You'd kind of... Yeah. You'd written it and, and had come up with it all. And before you'd even started the one a woman show, which was super ho at that point, yeah, it had been commissioned for a series. So, And a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> again, that must be a massive vote of confidence, right? To go, all right, shit, p- p- people are into this. Yeah, people are definitely backing it. And it's funny because, like, when I wrote the play, that was just me and my like house share in my bedroom like writing this thing and it was this one monologue you know one woman monologue play and for a few years later for it to be like this tv show and it's even bigger than really what I'd imagined it would be actually I didn't have an expectation when I wrote it I just wanted to keep writing and keep working on my craft really and it it was the thing that really got me noticed so it kind of has spiraled and and spiraled (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of want to talk about that whole journey, really. So kind of, before you even got there, you grew up in East East London, right? I did, yeah. And who were your kind of role models and inspirations that kind of made you feel that acting or writing or music or any Mm. of these things were an option? Because again, East has got a lot of factory work a lot of retail options a lot of tr- yeah. tr- tr- train work I know a load of people from East have worked on the trains and that so it's not necessarily yeah. always the oh yeah 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 I'm gonna be in the arts it's, it's not just, just Idris Elba down yeah. the road exactly. like smashing it's, it. it's all right guys we could all do it <laughs> yeah it's um do you know what I was I was that kid like I always wanted to act sing dancing I just those were my like extracurricular activities like I just nobody really pushed me into it I just was that way inclined and um my brother and sister they weren't particularly like that actually so I just but my dad he really loved music and um that was definitely I think looking back music was always with me from a young age like I remember being in the car with him and like loving putting the radio on and stuff like that and just like loving music and I had really great a great drama teacher, actually, who kind of told me when I was in secondary school that I should be an actress, kind of. That was the, kind of the first person who really put the seed in my head that yeah. I could make a career from it. Um, she was from Poland and um, big up Misha Spinska. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she was just really supportive. And I had a lot of great youth theatre leaders, like Theatre Royal Stratford East. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the youth theatre there and they just really... A lot of, like, little little opportunities would come through the door where you'd kind of go. So I did one of my first writing jobs, actually, which was the spin-off to EastEnders, and it was called E20. Yes. And it was, like, one of the first, like, online kind of dramas that really existed. 
And I didn't know at the time when I applied for it, but it turned out to be EastEnders, which was obviously like huge to me at the time. I was just like, yeah. oh my God, I got to go to like Albert Square. And um, <laughs> that that was just like a, a real thing for me where I was like, oh shit, you can like make money and do this. But I still think acting was the thing that was calling me because you can look at a TV and you can go, oh, there are actors, right? And yeah. you can't really do that with writers. It, now you can, but in a way of when I was growing up, I had no idea who was behind the the TV shows that I watched. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, like since moving, I, I started off in, in music and rap and since m- moving into acting, it's the bit that blows my mind the most. Like having a list now of my favourite r- writers favorite producers i've got a list of my favorite casting directors i'm that much of a nerd on this on this shit going oh wow there's so much more than just i was a fan of of this actor or this you know this director even and there's this so much there so that's great that you kind of were given a little bit of exposure to that and i think Mm. it's a big thing with the amount of cuts in the arts and in community projects particularly in in a city areas in the uk it's responsible for a lot of of problems and negativity because number one it's giving these young kids something to do but number two it's having someone there who says to you oh you should be an actor that you wouldn't it it can be as simple as that can make you go oh shit okay no one had told me that that's the seed yeah. It's exactly what you're saying. It's like exposure. That that I think that's a great word because you don't know. I say this all the time, but like you really don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, so until sort of people show you or tell you stuff, how do you know something's like achievable? You're kind of you are like I was dancing and singing and acting, but like I didn't didn't really know I could do it properly. If that makes sense, you know, yeah. in a way that when I then went to drama school people there, you know, they'd been doing, like, their Lambda kind of courses and, and they knew about... Dra- like, when I auditioned for drama school, I didn't have a bloody clue. Like, I just was like, oh, I'll get a monologue and, you know, oh, I've got to sing a song, all right. I'll sing. like, And I was just sort of figuring it out. But, you know, some people go and get tutors who, like, yeah. tutor them on their drama school auditions and things like that, and that just wasn't available to me. How was that for you, being in, mm-hmm. in that environment? Because I've... I, Again, when I moved in into acting, I was I was lucky to get some amazing roles, and at that point, I decided right, I should go to some classes and shit because mm. I don't want to be just just coasting along on yeah. on the opportunities I've had. And I found that really intimidating, starting in these classes and having all these people who had all this shorthand and all these f- f- phrases and terms of reference that I didn't have. And I, I kind of had to make a choice. Either this is going to scare me off or motivate me more to go. Now, nah, fuck you! I can, I deserve <laughs> yeah, exactly. to be here. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for a living already. So I've, you know, there's a reason. So was that a, a, a motivation for you there, or was it intimidating? No, very similar experience to you actually, in the sense that I don't think I knew how intimidating I found going to drama school at the time. Yeah. But obviously now I'm older. Like looking back, I can sort of go, well, yeah, I was really out of my depth, even though like. I was just down the road from where I grew up. Well, not down the road, but, like, it was still London. It wasn't like I moved out of London. But it was lots of people who weren't from where I was from. And I was just like, shit, like, I don't know who these other people are. They're not, like, humans I sort of grew up with. Much more privileged, really posh to me. Also, there wasn't many brown or black people there. So I was just like, oh, this is really strange from the multicultural East London, white, black, Asian, everybody kind of 
together. So it was also that that I found really like disconcerting. Like, oh, I'm kind of one of, I'm just somebody else. This isn't like my kind of space. So I think I had to learn to kind of take up space and um, sort of be okay with like, well, this is how I am. And if I want to play this character, I can because why the fuck not really? Like I, I can do it. So it was definitely instrumental in kind of pushing me to leave and sort of forge my own path, I guess. Yeah. And do you think those kind of realising that you didn't particularly have people like you around you, do you think that motivated you to want to tell the stories you want to tell to make sure that voice is heard? I really enjoyed your 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 unsaid stories with, with a friend of the podcast, Amanda Abington. Oh, I love her. She's amazing. And again, I thought it was really good because it, it spoke on on something I've not seen talked about that much. It spoke upon kind of unconscious racism within families who even have have black family members and things like that, and a, a, a lack of awareness of the the biases you might be be, be coming into a conversation or situation with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, hearing you talk about arriving at drama school and going, "All oh, right." I don't know these faces. It makes it, it's, it it makes me feel that that must have been a, a motivation there to go right. Well, these people aren't going to tell my story, so yeah, I need to. Or oh, they might try again. I'm not having a go at anyone. <laughs> I sit here as a as a white man from Essex, so it's kind of. But you can instantly look and go right. It's my almost my responsibility now if I'm getting yeah, through I this think door on a, on a subconscious level. Very much so at the time, I think because also responsibility is like an interesting word because I always sort of go, well, I don't actually sort of feel a responsibility. I sort of just think, well, I'm trying to be truthful. And so one story might be this, one story... I don't think I'm ever looking at something from a sort of racial lens or from a class lens, but I do feel like I'm just telling people as I see them, you know, and that's how... I perceive the world and I think other people perceive the world and, and, and I kind of want to tell those stories. So probably on an unconscious level, I was like, yeah, I'm not seeing these stories. So I, I just want to tell it. I want to tell stories that aren't being seen. And that does feel important to me. Yeah, yeah. So were you looking around at anyone from your area kind of thing that did make you excited or inspired i remember i spoke to kano on here about how important i felt it was that obviously particularly in east london grime blew up and that can be a massive motivation but i think small things like kano doing fashion campaigns or doing acting or doing these other Mm. things were really important to subconsciously show young black men and, and women that it's like right cool grime is an option but also we can do anything like this is it isn't simply oh we've got a new option now grime mm. exists it's like no it's all it's all there for the taking and again i yeah. think he was similar it was never a conscious thing for kano but it was like all right you know I these things it, make sense i think it it must have been because you did you had like kano and and dizzy and yeah. and everybody and and i used to go to like the under 18s raves and yeah, I yeah, would yeah. go and see Kano and <laughs> Wiley and, and Roll Deep and all those people. And so I guess music and like culture and entertainment. So probably it did seep into me and in that I thought yeah. like, well, they're from where I'm from and, you know, they're kind of doing this and they're on TV and maybe it did. I mean, I think it's still is harder for women in that I don't think there is as much visibility for black women or mixed race women like 
just in the in the media and so especially in music actually it can be um, particularly difficult so but I think it was good to see people mm. like that you know but definitely a, a, there is a, still a bit of a lack of female representation in 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 that respect completely and it's what's kind of is it's one of the many exciting things about about mood and I think because it's come from a one woman show into a TV show there's going to be obvious comparisons to to Fleabag and Chewing Gum but I think the more the comparisons that came to mind for me were more Atlanta and I May Destroy You and shows that it feels like a commissioner or a channel has gone right we trust this individual voice and we're not going to fuck with it too much <laughs> you know, yeah like, we're no, gonna go, you know here what? we go we yeah. believe in you now go and make it and then you get this amazing stuff rather than going well we kind of want a new flea bag or chewing gum but but we want it to fit this and here's where we want it and here's the slot it feels like they've gone you make it and then and then we'll figure out where it mm. goes and what it is you know i felt like they did put a lot of trust in me actually yeah. in terms of also, it can be harder to get a drama because this went through drama rather than comedy. And we're yeah. very, um, it's not so much like that in the US, but here it is very much like drama commission, comedy commission. Yeah, they can be trickier because I guess um, usually they're more expensive, like a drama. And, yeah. and this was quite an ambitious show and it had music and it's got choreo and like a lot going on. So I still do sort of go like, how have I convinced people to like like now I think you can see it, you can go great but I definitely think how could they have known that and I think it was that they trusted that I knew what I wanted to say and and I had this really clear idea and how I could talk about it and I think also I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to like tick box stuff and and that's why I'm always like well yes it's about this but this thing but it's also talking about this because life isn't as like thematic as that like oh mm. I'm just discussing grief like with grief comes these other offshoots of it or whatever it is so I knew that it was going to cover quite a few themes but it still had to have like a story at the heart of it and um not be like finger waggy at anybody and sort of be like I'm telling you to think this or feel this whereas some shows can do that you know they yeah. really need you to fit into a box and they go like this is the thing we're talking about and I think in talking about mood, it can be quite tricky sometimes to sort of go, what, you know, really sort of pin down what the show is about because I do talk about a lot of stuff within it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the lack of finger wagginess um, <laughs> is really key. And the authenticity is what allows it to be to be how it is. Um, a, a key part of the story involves sex work which is a mm. subject that's so often misrepresented or presented in a really basic or cliched manner in tv but i think you approach it amazingly because as you say it's non-judgmental but then it's not also not over pandering it's not going oh no it's all fine and the judgmental moments feel authentic from your character and yeah. and, and and she goes on a journey that that changes so it it, it kind of al- allows you to really talk talk honestly without it feeling like you're taking a side because your character seems to be authentically going on a journey and changing her mind along the way. So how how delicate did you feel a subject it was to approach or did you feel quite comfortable going, no, let's just, let's get into it? I definitely think, like, at first, how I kind of came up with mood is, is um, 
somebody showed me this website where these men were essentially shaming these like young women they'd mm. seen on like Instagram that were saying they were, you know, models or singers or whatever. And then secretly they were sex workers and um, the men on these sites, they kind of like, they'll send them a DM and it will be like, oh, I'm inviting you to Dubai for this amount of money. You need to do X, Y, Z and get them to agree to it. And then they like expose them on oh, these man. kind of That's websites. Gross, right? Really gross and yeah. bizarre. And I was just really like shocked and I wanted to talk about that. Uh, so I was quite gung-ho to kind of like dig into it and then... The more I did dig into it, I think the more the layers kind of peeled off and I realised just quite how delicate it was and how deep those layers kind of revealed. And then, you know, in doing research and speaking to women, I did feel quite protective of just of the people I spoke to and and making sure that I wasn't glamorising it, but at the same time I wasn't essentially like bastardising it either and going Mm. like everybody's like suffering and having a shit time and they felt like really just basic opinions on on either sides of a spectrum in which I think usually the media, as you say, they kind of do like a sexy kind of sex worker escort who's like really all-powerful and she's a boss bitch and yeah. really educated. And then you have like crackhead <laughs> prostitute, like yeah, right at the other end. Right? <laughs> they're, they're so extreme. And actually I felt like it was just young women, you know, kind of who typically had, like, fallen into it or, you know, usually from economical kind of lack of means. And that felt like the important story for me, that almost, like, you fall into it and then you go, oh, my God, how the hell am I here? I'm a sex worker. And that's kind of the journey across across the series. I love it. And it's it's the, it's the, the thin line between liberation and exploitation and... My partner is is a sex worker and and mm. on OnlyFans and Fansly and all these things and thoroughly en- enjoys it. But it means I know a lot of people in that world and it is interesting because again the argument is always that it's like any job. Sometimes you hate it, sometimes you love yeah. it, sometimes it's just a paycheck. But equally, it has to be acknowledged that it can have different impacts than other jobs like a bad day on a job like that could be a really bad experience or could be something that really damages you more than your boss is being a bit of a prick and Mm. and the aircon isn't working you know so again I think it's it's really good to approach these things and and show all the nuance as Mm. as as you say rather than here's one version that's all empowering and here's the other version yeah and there's a difference in your partner is obviously, well, I'm assuming, is out and talks about yeah. maybe, but isn't like hiding the fact that, you yeah. know, they're a sex worker because, uh, well, I hope not if you just yeah, said just it. Said no, not at all. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's quite different to like the young women I met, some of them who, you know, it's totally in secret. And like, I pretty much for some of them are like the first ever person they've really yeah. gone into depth with. And, and it's almost like you sort of, I was a bit of a therapist because they knew that, you know, we had a, a level of trust between us and I wasn't going to identify them or, or as sort of identify their stories in any way. And um, so they could say stuff to me that, you know, they couldn't tell their friends or like yeah. many of them whose family have no idea what they're up to. And then I feel like anything you kind of, doing secret will have an element of shame especially when society shames sex workers as it is Mm -hmm. whether it is 
OnlyFans, escorting, you know, stripping. Like, there's so much shame attached to it and judgment. So I think that also is quite a big part in that the women I spoke to, and I spoke to quite a few on, like, OnlyFans who were, you know, also some of them making huge, huge amounts of money. And, like, it, that was quite a different experience to the ones I spoke to, like, kind of in the closet, as it were. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, I said. It's a, it's a fascinating world. And kind of... A, a weird jump, but another area that goes kind of undiscussed a little. Um, and I want to talk about the, the kind of differences between working on the stage show with mm. a director and working on the TV show with a director, because it's weird. In, in, in film, the directors are the ones that you'll hear about and all that, but in TV, not so much, and on stage shows, mm. even less so. So when it was a one-woman sh- show you worked with jade lewis and i've only seen the first two episodes but but they were with stroma cairns and dawn shadforth so what was kind of the difference in developing Mm. and working with directors on the stage show because i'd imagine on the stage show from the people i know who've done one person shows there is far more of a engagement from the early days kind of thing from the start whereas on tv Mm. the script will normally be there and then the director will have their kind of input yeah so with the um so I first did like an initial kind of reading um at the yard so that was just like me I kind of just stood up and kind of did it It wasn't very directed and then did a kind of rehearsed reading with Talawa Theatre Company and they're a black-led theatre company. And then they put me in touch with Jade Lewis. So there was a script ready, but it hadn't... You know, it still needed polishing. Yeah. It needed to figure out, you know, how exactly I was going to be all these characters. And, like, I knew I didn't want to just do these, like, crazy voices for each character and do stuff <laughs> like that. So it was, like, figuring out how I embody them. And, and Jade had... The movement director she wanted to work with and so I guess it was super collaborative actually because also it's like just you and the director in the room actually yeah. and there's, there's nobody else really kind of getting involved it's just the two of you in a rehearsal room it's, it's quite a beautiful space really actually and um you know your stage manager comes in and out but you're just figuring out this thing together and I think there has to be a lot of trust and also, they know it's just you on stage, which is a hugely daunting, like, when you've got an hour and a half. Yeah. One, learning all those lines and just, yeah, it's it's just you, whereas there is, it, there's an element of, like, safety when you're with somebody else on stage. I guess you can hide a little bit as well, so there's no hiding when it's yeah. just you. And then I guess the difference in TV is, as you say, it's like at that point you're working with a production company and I was an exec on it and, and um, the other exec and uh, Marjorie and then having... Um, the BBC, so there's a lot of components that are already there and we had the producer attached. So then you're kind of going out and figuring out who's going to be the right fit to kind of come on and uh, what they're going to bring to kind of add to this vision. And and obviously, because it had two bases, it had a play and then it had a script. So it had a lot of, like, history attached to it, I guess, already. So so I guess that's it was brand new, maybe, when it was Jade and I coming together and then it was already this thing. So I'm trying to think of what the difference is, because you're still collaborating. Like, you know, even in TV, you do hear about TV directors less, I guess, but it is still a collaboration and a process uh, with both TV directors, Dawn and Stroma. Dawn Dawn led the block, 
led sort of the series and also she's got so much experience with music which I think is is why we chose to work with Dawn because you know she's done loads of music videos and things and I just think that was kind of who we were looking for to kind of help us run with mood and you know kind of create it to be what it is yeah and and how did you feel back onto the pressure side of things Mm. with the musical elements because again anything with music in particularly if it's a working class show particularly if it's that that music is rap or grime or r&b credibility is everything and it's such a a a tightrope to be like is this gonna feel like some cheesy shit or is this gonna just explode on the screen (laughs) and again it works it explodes it's 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 wonderful it breaks into these credible music videos that could kind of that stand on their own but I'd imagine there must have been a journey to get to that. There must have been points where you were like, oh man, is this going to be really uncomfortable or cringy or whatever else? Yeah, honestly, cringe is a word I use a lot because I get cringed out quite a bit and I've got a good barometer of like, nah, 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 this is is cringy, can't be doing (laughs) this. It was all about the team, actually. It was about finding the right musical team for the show who understood like, yes, we're making a TV show, but like... We don't want it to be... Like, sometimes I've watched, like, musicals, especially, like, British TV or film, sometimes that has music in it that feels like the music is an afterthought. Mm. So it's like they've created this story and then they kind of find some sort of random people to create music or whatever. And I knew I wanted to go into the music industry and, like, go, like, well, who's making music? I want these people involved. So I worked with a guy called Kwame or KZ did it and I kind of wanted an... So it felt cohesive, kind of like an overview kind of producer. So I would kind of... He did most of the songs, actually, produced most of the songs on it. And yeah. so that was key for me, getting somebody who's working in the music industry. Like, he works a lot with Amma Ray right now. She's, like, killing it. And yeah. Koji Radical and people like that. So he already has a level of, like, credibility and expertise. And, and we just got on so well that I was like, right, I'm in a good position to kind of not make shit and he'll you know and that's going to be important and then I got some co co co-writers on like Camille I mean she's done so much with like Little Mix and Dua Lipa and so that's why I feel like the music was able to shine in the way and I think that was me like pushing to go this is not going to work if the music isn't good actually and sometimes we would go again like I'd create something and this is before we would start shooting. And then I was like, no, this song is not it. It is not it. It is mm-hmm. not the one. I want to go back and I want to get into the studio and I want to do something better. And sometimes things just came out of magic as well. Like we've got a cover of um, State of Independence, which Donna Summer did. Yeah. John and Vangelis actually wrote it. And um, that came out of me and Kwame in the studio. Like I knew I wanted like this song and we just started bashing stuff out. And at the time, we were really quite frustrated, actually. Like, we were just like, this is not... I was a bit like, why have I picked this cover? Like, why have I done this? Like, I've sort of shot myself in the foot here. We've cleared it now, got to use it kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I just got in the booth and we just, like, created this song. It's one of my favourites. Like, so the format was really different across the show in yeah. kind of creating. I love it. And I love all of these kind of t- little relationships and and people that are so important that maybe won't be at the forefront. Like um, Euphoria wouldn't be the show that it is without Labyrinth doing his thing and kind of building these amazing, setting the whole tone. Yet Mm. when you think of Euphoria, 
you think of those main characters and stuff and I, I, I find all that stuff so f- fascinating, the collaborative nature of TV and film. So kind of with that in mind, do you think your approach to this benefited from going off and working on, on Sense8? So you, you'd done a load of UK kind of stuff, but Sense8 mm. was a big American thing and it's it's a big yeah. Netflix thing and all that. And those things are different experiences. It's, it's, it's not the same. It feels like a different ball game altogether so i think those experiences helped to kind of go right i know what i want to pick from that and what i don't and so on and so forth definitely as an actress kind of and just um going for something and and because i know on sensei i was like british girl and then i like turned up and they were like actually you're australian now they, they threw <laughs> I read that an interview about that and it seemed yeah, like that's, the, that's the worst that nightmare because anyone again anyone who's 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 maybe being around people who make you feel you shouldn't be here is going to want to work and work and make sure everything's perfect. So to be thrown last minute, oh, by the way. You're Australian. Don't worry about that. Not even on my CV. You're Australian as that. I would have liked to have known a month ago, to be honest, but wicked. <laughs> yeah, literally, I was like, oh, shit. Um, like, oh, shit. Were, oh, shit. I mean, that, oh, shit, that's all I've got. I mean, I think that's a brilliant Australian accent and um, I did get, a few tweets like your Australian accent shit (laughs) mate have I had a bit more time yeah (laughs) they don't know they don't care um but the Wachowskis they they were very like free and creative and I would watch them kind of directing and um I think I was just absorbing really absorbing you know you don't know like what's going to be the thing for you I guess as a creative to go like where do you feel like you're sort of stepping into your stride and um you know at the time I was like frustrated because I was like, you know, I did sensate, but actually I think that was like five days of my year, yeah. like actually. And yeah. people don't realise that, you know, when you watch TV, you go like, oh, that person's working all the time and you're not. So in between doing that, I was just also writing and hostessing and doing promo. Like that's pretty much what I was doing with my bread and butter to like keep afloat while I was auditioning and stuff. And yeah, so I think I was just sucking in and like taking in as much as I could while I was going right I'm going to really try and create something of my own actually yeah and 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 how does that kind of sit with you now because again I've I've been lucky enough to do like stuff for the BBC and NBC and Marvel and FX and all these things but the thing that's always rattling around the back of my head is the projects I want to be creating and myself it's like it's amazing and again you you'll know if you've spent six months sitting around not booking any gigs it's amazing if something like a big netflix show comes in and you're like yeah, yeah i've got it but i don't think there's anything quite like what you must be feeling with mood to be having created this and go right i've made the character i wanted to play and i've made the yeah the sh- show i wanted to, to 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 be out there so yeah how is that balance i guess well, it is a great feeling, I will say, because because I think it's also compounded by like how much I feel like I struggled to, to kind of just, yeah, just in my earlier years, just kind of coming out of drama school and sort of getting little jobs here and there, but thinking, God, I'm, I'm, you know, you watch TV and you're going, I know I could be doing that. Or, you know, when you've got an audition, you're like, that one was mine. I know I, know I should have got that. And the difference is now, obviously, I'm in a better place to now be able to go and create other work I think it's just giving given me a kind of this I sort of didn't all fall into place but you know I really bet on myself and 
So I turned a few things down when I was kind of waiting on to see whether it was going to get a green light. And, you know, for me, financially, I was very like, oh, shit, if this doesn't get Mm. picked up, I've sort of fucked it a little bit, actually. (laughs) And I was so obviously I was really glad that I was like, you know what, thank God, I kind of like bet on myself. So I'm a big fan of like, you know, when I talk to newer writers or actors, I'm always just like, sometimes you really just got to bet on yourself and you've got to like take that gamble. And if it doesn't pay off, like pivot and try something else. And like, that's going to kind of get you to where you want to be. And so I think I'm in a place where I'm like surprised where I am maybe, like that I'm like, oh great, this was the thing. And so now I'm excited for the next thing because now I'm not going to be surprised. I'm like, right, this is now what I'm doing next. And um, I'm sort of got my feet here solidly, I feel now. So I'm like, great. I'm in a different position to where I was really, you know? Yeah. I, I love it when you can, can get to that point where you go, oh no, this is what I do now kind of thing. I've yeah. I've always had a weird thing and uh, weirdly my mum gets annoyed at me for this, but I generally won't s- celebrate things to too much because in my mind I want to get to the thing of, of going no this is what's meant to be happening this isn't like mm. a one-off thing that I should be going oh my god this is so I'm so lucky it's like no this is what I do now that's it's your job it's, it's great that that's <laughs> happened but this is my job and I want yeah I want it to continue on and I think that's a yeah that's it sounds like you're in a good good place there um how was it adapting it from a stage show to a tv show because as you said being on your own up there for 90 minutes is is one thing but now you've got the comfort of other people and of retakes and of things mm-hmm. like that but it's a six it's a six episodes is it mm, um yeah it's a yeah. full show now it's not 90 minutes it's there's a lot more in there so how was that that adaptation process I think what was quite lucky for me is that although it is a sort of 90 minute uh monologue play it does sort of she goes on this huge journey. So I knew I wanted to tell that tale and I was kind of like, right, I'm going to sort of stretch it across these six episodes and then I'm essentially going to fill it out with other interactions and sort of figuring out where those kind of emotional turning points are. And But in terms of the story, it was really there. Like I knew I wanted to be as close to the play as possible. But then for me, it was about the music. That was the real challenge. It was how do I interweave musical numbers on tv that doesn't feel cringy and shit yeah and that's quite different to like you know on stage anything can happen so if i just like break into song you're not really like oh why is she now yeah. singing you sort of just go with it you're in a audience. theater it is what it is you know this is it and but on tv i was like oh if i just like burst into song oh i don't know that's and it's like a rap or it's like and it's not come from a earned place then I think you're gonna think that's cringe so that was the real challenge actually the music and then obviously casting like Mm. we got an amazing casting director Shaheen Baig cast it and I met so many actors because I played those characters so in my head it's like I was like walking around living with these humans that didn't exist and then suddenly I've got you know people saying the lines and auditioning, mainly on Zoom because it was COVID. So, you know, um, and trying to figure out, ah, is this just a good audition? Or like, do they understand this? And like, is this my, the guy playing my stepdad? Or is this the mum? Or is this my little sister? Like, so that was another kind of, 
thing to like also people doing different versions of maybe like I had it one way in my head. I was, I was going to ask that how how is that when you've had it one way in your head for so long and then s- s- someone walks in the room or cl- clicks on the zoom as it were <laughs> yeah. and they're not what you had in your head but they're fucking great like how easy was that to 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 detach and go right it's not what I was looking for but this is this is is right for this you know yeah I think you just know like if yeah. it's right even if it's different you it's also I think about like a, an actor's understanding of the role because even if they're doing something different that or maybe they look different to how you'd imagined if they fundamentally understand like a character's journey I feel like you're still going to get like they're still going to play the narrative that that I'd kind of written so Sometimes I think I found it hard to detach in in like, oh, I want it to be that thing. So I would actually just keep looking because I just knew I was like, that is the thing I want. But with other characters, it maybe didn't matter as much. I would be like, yeah, they're just amazing. Yeah. Let's just do it, you know? Yeah. And Shaheen, is, as said, is 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 great. She, she's the first casting director I hustled a meeting with when I had no agent nice. or no any of that kind of thing. I'd... Me and Riz Ahmed had, had worked together in, in our music days a few times, and he was like, "You should sp- 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 speak to Shaheen if you're getting into acting." And she kind of, yeah, absolutely amazing. She is an actor's like casting director. She yeah. cares so much uh, about like actors' welfare and just them understanding the role and like having enough time to prepare. And like I say that, which sounds like pretty simple, but <laughs> as you know, I'm sure like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always like that. And um, I think that's why we got such a great cast. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of kind of, of, of wa- welfare a little bit there, you'd said earlier how you you're like you didn't have like a tick box of things you wanted to discuss or, or confront in your writing. But I found on this podcast, whether you put it in your tick box or not, mental health is going to be coming up because it's just something in everyone's life. And I've... I, I, I love the way you, you approach mental health in in mood, particularly the drug dealer mm. character. And again, I've only I've seen the first two episodes, but it felt so real and relatable. And you kind of offer up absolutely justifiable reasons for him to have mental health issues, but then you don't excuse them because they're they're presenting in dangerous and damaging ways, kind of thing, and threatening mm. ways. So, how was that to kind of navigate those worlds and how much of that was you going here's what I want to write and how much was you going I used to know this guy that was like this because again so that. many of the characters jumped <laughs> out to me exactly that I was like so like I used to know a dealer I like that that was like lovely but then in a moment you're like I don't want to be in this room alone with you this is yes. this is dark so it felt it felt so real in that way I guess yeah so the character of Salim, because actually, again, obviously, like, I played him on stage and yeah. it was one that always, like, the audience would, like, kind of laugh because, like, you could sort of play him in a way, like, he's really funny and charming, but then, like, you know, you could just, like, snap. And I knew a few people like that growing up in East London that it's, yeah. like, you know, some days you'd see them, it'd be all right. And then, you know, another day, it's, and I'm talking about just, like, when I was, like, teenager, like, knocking around, like, playing out, do you know what I mean, in the park or whatever, and you kind of knew those, like, older guys or something you kind of knew they were drug dealers or whatever and um so I kind of drew from that experience and also just again what's like available to somebody like a Salim who's like grown up in ends grown up in the east end and probably didn't do very well at school is now a drug dealer like you sort of 
find out stuff that's like happened to his mum and she's not around anymore really and he has mental health issues and he's not taking medication and kind of you know what damage can be done with that and especially in east london and kind of like the mental health services i did so much research and i I didn't know about that actually because you know i know a few people who were mental health nurses in east east london and about the cuts and things like that and what that means when people are discharged and they don't have anybody visiting them and doing home visits anymore and how easy if you are not obviously presenting as a danger how you can kind of slip through the cracks and i think that is what I was showing in a character like Salim. Yes, all right, he may be a drug dealer, but there are these other sort of circumstances at play. And Sasha, obviously, you know, she's kind of sofa surfing at the time and isn't kind of aware of these things until, like, you know, she's literally sat at a table and it's like, oh, that's for, you know, kind of he's experiencing psychosis or these are sort of tablets he takes, Um and I think that's just kind of normal, actually. I feel like it's um, something we don't see a lot, but but we shouldn't sort of shy away from. Yeah, yeah, com- completely. And again, presenting these things that feel like they're just from reality, but presenting them with no agenda or no, here's the point I want to make, here's what I'm trying to say. Things aren't always... I think we, in recent film and TV history, we've become almost obsessed with tying everything up in a nice bow at the end and I don't think that's the reality of life and the reality of stories so I think it feels great to have that happen in a show but I I love when there's certain things that are just a bit well that's that's where that story ends yeah yeah that's where that got to it is what it is Mm. kind of no yeah I love it well speaking of stories I wrap things up now by kind of asking what's ahead stage screen page all of these things obviously there should be a big period of taking a breather and and looking back and realizing what you've achieved with this because again it's been a long journey of this one project but from what you've said it feels like you're instantly going to have your eyes on what's next and what's ahead and what you want to do off the back of this so yeah what can you kind of say there of even if it's just of what your aims are rather than anything specific yeah I mean you're right I'd love to like take a huge break but I feel like you know when you're like raring to go because you've had all this experience now and I'm just like I just want to create more and and sort of um write something else write a different project and film tv musical works it's all of the above really and stage and for me, I kind of just let ideas land. So I've got a huge sort of wall of full of ideas. But it's going to be the one, as soon as I get a minute once this is done, that is like screaming the loudest at me, actually, that I'm like, that's that's what I want to do. That's what I want to say right now. That's the next thing I want to work on. I definitely know I'm going to direct in the future because I think as a writer, you know, I, I think there's a, a showrunner model now, isn't there, where mm-hmm. you're kind of, at the helm of it and I know it's very much an American thing but we're kind of adopting it more here but yeah I think to really execute your vision it's it's also worth kind of directing and writing so I think that'll be enough really to keep me keep me busy keep me out of trouble I love that and I love again it's kind of it's building experience and confidence on these things you know it's 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 being in more and more projects to go you know what I think I could I could I could write something good here and then doing that and then going you know what I've now worked with enough good directors I know what I like I think I could maybe have a go at 
at directing as well. And then, yeah, it grows and grows and grows. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm excited for all that is ahead. Um, literally, just before we wrap up, yeah. who inspires you right now? Like, who are you a fan of? Who excites you? I know I asked in your younger days who were your kind of mm. role models as such, but, but who is it right now? I mean, I do adore Michaela Cole. I think she is a phenomenal woman, creator, and I think also going on this experience myself, I sort of have so much more respect for those women, you know, telling stories and, you know, essentially being a boss of what you're doing. And it's it's no easy kind of thing to, to achieve. I'm trying to, I feel a bit stumped. I'm like, who's inspiring me right now? No, I love it. I mean, that's perfect because I, I, I chatted to Michaela after ch- Chewing Gum and after I May Destroy You, or no, mm. just before I May Destroy You, when she, she was working on it. And there's so many similarities and comparisons here of, of what you've done, of slaving over this, this, this these things that are really personal to you, but also having that pressure of knowing that you want to be able to sh- sh- show your face in your ends. You know, you know when it comes out, which loads of TV and film people don't have to have to worry about. No, they really the added don't. pressure of no, I need this to be good because I've got to go home again. And, but this and is this, a, this is the perfectionist. Yeah. This is the like. Honestly, I don't rest. I'm just like, no, I'll do it. I'm Mrs. Do everything myself. I'm like, I'll just get it done. I'll get yeah. it done. I'll get it done. But yeah, I think she's a brilliant creative. But you know, there's load of directors as well. Yeah. That I really adore. Like. You know, Big Lebowski is one of my favourite films yeah. of all time. Like, Absolute um, classic. So I think it's it's sort of people that are inventive, people that like push the boat out in different ways creatively. And obviously Donald Glover, I think he's yeah. amazing and what he does in music and TV as well. Uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. I mean, it's people that are breaking boundaries, I think, and doing stuff that maybe, you know, if you pitched something, they'd go, well, that's a bit niche. You know, and they're like, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to be like mass market. But actually you're like, well, I think it is. Yeah. And, and you run with it anyway. And you're like, that's my vision. That's what I want to do. I'd, I'd love it. Well, I'm thoroughly excited to see all of your visions come to fruition in the future. And thank you for taking the time to have a chat. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Nicole Leckie. As said, I can't recommend mood enough. It's amazing. Like, it's genuinely amazing and it's exciting. It's, oh, I mean, all the shows are, all the shows are referenced, all the comparisons. There's, it's really good. The tone's good. The way she's pulled it off amazingly, particularly for a debut show. I can't remember another show that's a debut from like a writer and actor and everything that's this accomplished and this this dope it's really good so yeah as said head to speech com if you want to buy merch head over to twitch.tv forward slash scroobius pip if you want to uh, come and follow me on twitch and i'll be back next week with more good old chats until then stay safe and stay sane ta-ta